What is the true meaning of the church? Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author, pastor, teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. In today's text out of Matthew chapter 6, Pastor Charles will show us what church discipline is about. Today's message, being forgiven and being forgiving. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. But you turn to Matthew 6, Matthew 6 records the Lord's Prayer, the Disciples' Prayer, the Model Prayer. In verses 9 through 15, let me read it all to you and then go back and grab one verse. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 12 is our focus today, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. I want to label the message being forgiven and being forgiving. How do you distinguish a true church from a false one? The Belgic Confession of 1561 famously outlines three distinguishing marks of a true church. The faithful proclamation of the word of God, the faithful exercise of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and the faithful exercise of church discipline. People tend to judge churches on the basis of size, prominence, and resources. But God does not judge churches by how much money they have, how beautiful their facilities are, or how many people attend. God is looking at and for fidelity of doctrine holiness of lifestyle, and unity of fellowship. God is looking for the marks of the true church. This morning, I want to talk to you about what can rightfully call, be called the missing mark of the church, church discipline. Church discipline is the big process of confrontation, rebuke, confession, forgiveness, and restoration. But I want to talk to you about church discipline in much simpler terms. Simply, church discipline is about being forgiven and being forgiving. It is what Jesus teaches us to pray 
here in verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Notice that the first word of this petition is the conjunction and, which connects verse 12 to verse 11, where Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. How do these two verses go together? They go together in that they both present fundamental needs of the human existence. In other words, forgiveness is to the soul what bread is to the body. Our bodies starve when we do not eat. Our souls starve when we do not forgive. This is a bold assertion I'm about to make, but I believe that whatever spiritual problem a person has can actually and arguably be rooted in one of two issues, guilt or bitterness. Whatever the, whatever the issue is, when you, when you get to the core of it, it's a matter of guilt or bitterness. Guilt is the need to receive forgiveness. Bitterness is the need to extend forgiveness. Ultimately, I submit to you that the heart of the Christian life is the matter of forgiveness. The Greek word here, forgive, means to send away. It was used in the culture of its day for canceling a debt or an archer discharging or shooting his arrow, the ending or dismissing of court proceedings. It's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for divorce. It can be used for the ending of a meeting or loosing a ship so that it may set sail. In a greater, deeper, higher way, forgiveness is all of this. It sends away guilt and bitterness. Christianity is not just about what comes into your life when you follow Jesus. It's also about what departs from your life when you follow Jesus. Following Jesus is about the constant process of sending away guilt and bitterness. Listen carefully to these next three sentences, church. We are most like beast when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. We are most like God when we forgive. Forgiveness is a natural, essential, beneficial part of the Christian life. Jesus says here, we are to pray daily for forgiveness just as we are to pray daily for bread. Christians approach God desiring to be reconciled to God and others. This truth is illustrated in what is called the parable of the unmerciful servant. 
In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35, Jesus tells about a servant who wasted his master's money and racked up an incalculable debt. When he begged for mercy, the king forgave him freely and fully, but that forgiven servant refused to forgive a fellow servant who owed him a relatively small debt. So the king repossessed the debt he offered to the unmerciful servant. Jesus ends that parable in Matthew 18, verse 35, by saying, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. There are big three, three big points in that parable. The servant owed a debt he could not repay. The king freely and fully repaid the debt. Here's the big point of the parable, it's the point, I think, of this petition. The servant had to learn the hard way that the grace you receive is tied to the grace you extend. Jesus says we're to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Consider then with me in this petition three fundamental dynamics of Christian reconciliation. The first is this. To pray this petition is to acknowledge the need for forgiveness. This petition begins with the confession of a need. One man boasted to John Wesley, I never forgive. Well then, Wesley replied, I hope you never sin. Do you get it? The first reason why Christians are forgiving people is because Christians recognize we are people who are in constant need of forgiveness. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 9 reads, who can say I have made my heart Pure, I am clean from my sin. Answer, no one. We are sinners. We have iniquity. We commit transgressions. So first and foremost, we pray this petition to remember our own need for forgiveness. How big is this need for forgiveness? Notice the word the text uses in the English Standard Version. Debt. In our culture, debt is a way of life for so many people. But in scripture, debt is never a good thing. It always involves both condemnation and consequences. This is the problem of sin. Sin are debtors. Sinners are debtors to God. Because God created us, we are accountable to God for how we live our lives. And because God is holy, God demands perfect obedience to his commands. It's a fair deal. After all, he is the one that made us, rules over us, and sustains us. So when we sin against God, we put ourselves in debt to God. 
Romans 6 verse 23, the A part says it this way. The wages of sin is debt. Sin is a costly debt that keeps accumulating painful interest. Where can you hide when you owe heaven's bank? What kind of a acceptable payment plan can you come up with when you owe heaven's bank? What what court can grant you bankruptcy protection from heaven's bank? Church, we are debt-ridden sinners who must come to God with the desperation of a beggar, not the confidence of a banker. Albert Moeller wrote, this petition reminds us that the Lord's Prayer is not a care casual prayer for the generically religious. This prayer is a gospel prayer. We can only say these words and ask these things of God when we stand on the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ. I want you to get that. This is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, this model prayer is. There is a large crowd present, but Jesus is talking directly to his disciples. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, forgive us our debts. Lost people cannot pray this prayer. This is a prayer for the baptized. Only those who can pray, our Father in heaven can pray, forgive us our debts. But think about the magnitude of this. Even though God is our Father in heaven, we still need forgiveness. Even though we are saved and born again and justified by faith alone, we still need forgiveness. This is an important lesson about prayer. There was a period in my life where my prayer life was a roller coaster up and down. Because if I had a good day, I felt confident about praying. I was glad to tell God about what was going on in my life because I was doing pretty good. But when I sinned, I was reluctant to pray. I felt so unworthy. And I would avoid prayer when I knew I had done something wrong. But this helps free me. This petition helps freeze us because it reminds us that none of us ever get, get to approach God in prayer on the basis of our worthiness. We are never worthy to approach God in prayer. Before I was saved, I was a sinner in need of forgiveness. And now that I am saved, I'm still a sinner in need of forgiveness. How is that? Christians are saved by grace. Christians have the hope of glory. Christians have eternal security. Why do we need to pray forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors? It's because there are two types of forgiveness God extends. Judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. 
judicial for forgiveness is the once and for all forgiveness God bestows upon the penitent sinner who trusts the finished work of Christ for salvation. But parental forgiveness is the ongoing, perpetual, regular forgiveness God graciously bestows upon those who have already trusted Christ for salvation. Judicial forgiveness is about salvation. Parental forgiveness is about fellowship. Judicial forgiveness establishes a personal relationship with God. Parental forgiveness maintains my intimate fellowship with God. Before I was saved, before we are saved, God is our judge. But when we trust the finished work of Christ, the judge declares us righteous and adapts us into his family. And when he adapts us into his family... There are times we still disobey him. But thanks be to God, he doesn't kick us out of the house. He just puts us on punishment. He sends us to his room, to our room. And so even as a Christian, we must continue to pray, forgive us our debts. Not as criminals who need to get right with God but as children who want to stay on speaking terms with the Father. Jesus illustrates this well in John 13. It's the upper room. Jesus has instituted the Last Supper, and he's told the boys he's going away, but he's not gone yet before they start jockeying for who's going to be the greatest once he leaves. So Jesus teaches an object lesson. He gets a towel, the basin of water, takes out his outer garment, and goes disciple to disciple and starts washing their feet, the task of the lowliest servant in the house. When he got to Peter, Peter was incredulous. He says, Lord, what are you doing? Jesus says, you don't understand what I'm doing now, Peter. You'll understand it later. Peter said, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said to Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't belong to me. Peter was bewildered, but he wasn't crazy. He says, if that's the way this goes, not just my feet, but my hands and everything else, wash all of me. And Jesus says something interesting. He says, um, the one who has bathed does not need to be bathed again. He just needs to wash his feet. And you all are already clean, except not all of you. The not all of you is Judas. In their world, they didn't have clothes, toes, shoes, or paved streets to walk on in sandals. They walk the dirty, dusty roads. And when you arrive at the destination, you, you didn't need to take another bath, but, but basic hospitality was to provide a water and towel so you could wash your feet. Jesus was saying to Peter, when I save you, I bathe you clean with my blood. But on this journey, there are still times 
when your feet get dirty. Is anybody in this house with me? But, but when your feet get dirty on the journey, thank God you don't got to get saved all over again. You just got to go to the Father and say, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. To pray this is to acknowledge your need for forgiveness. I am a debtor who needs to be forgiven. But secondly, to pray this petition is to appropriate the gift of forgiveness. There, there is a confession. I have debts, but then there is a petition. Forgive us our debts. Notice that the petition doesn't say, teach us so to forgive other people so that you might forgive us. It doesn't start with us forgiving others. That would leave us in control. And from our storehouse of righteousness, we could reach out in love to those who have hurt, wronged, and offended us. But it doesn't work that way. We, we are taught to ask to be forgiven first. That means we are not in control. We are at the mercy of someone else's account for our lives, not our own. Our forgiveness of others begins as a response to being forgiven. It's not an act of generosity to others. It's an act of gratitude to God. I need to say that again. Forgiveness is not an act of generosity to others. It's an act of gratitude to God. The young pastor in my first church, I went through a difficult season. I had a friend, I lived in Los Angeles, I had a friend in New Jersey, Joe, who would call me every week to check on me and to pray for me. And to every week tell me, Junior, you got to get out of there. You got to get out of there. He would tell me this every week. You got to get out of there. You can't stay there because this is so bad. I don't, I don't want this situation to make you a bitter young preacher. He would say this to me every week so much so that it moved me to be regularly praying against bitterness. And I learned one thing in that season. Mark it down. It's impossible to be grateful and bitter at the same time. Y'all not listening to me here. And if you're not careful, you can focus on what didn't go right and forget all of the multiple ways the Lord has still been good to you in the midst of the situation. And so we, we, ought, to, we ought to forgive not as generosity to others, but as gratitude to God. If we control the forgiveness we receive, then we got the right to control the forgiveness we extend. But if we are to forgive the way Christ commands, we must first be recipients of grace. We must appropriate the gift of forgiveness. I want you to get this. This is, a, this is all I'm leaning on on this second point. Forgiveness is a gift. We are debtors who can't buy our way out of trouble with God. Forgiveness is a gift. Let me add this. That the passage doesn't say anything about forgiving ourselves. It's a popular concept these days, even in the church, 
There are professing Christians, even preachers, who would talk about the importance of forgiving yourself. You hear people say it. It's a part of the vernacular now. God, God may have forgiven me, but I'm struggling to forgive myself. But the Bible doesn't tell us how to forgive ourselves. The Bible doesn't tell us that we need to forgive ourselves. Really, that's popular psychology seasoned with religious terminology. The Bible doesn't talk about forgiving ourselves. There are more than 125 direct references to forgiveness in the Bible. We are never told to forgive ourselves. It's an alien notion to Scripture. In fact, it's a dangerous notion. Think of it this way. To forgive yourself means you are the God you offended. That's blasphemous. It's not a Christian way of thinking. It's just another attempt of the enemy to get us to depend on our own righteousness rather than the grace of God. Church, God, do you know who God is? God is so holy, angels can't call him holy. They got to call him holy, holy, holy. And if you done went to God and God gave you another chance, why are you beating yourself up? It means you don't understand the gift you have from amazing grace. Salvation, forgiveness, pardon is nothing we do. It's all of grace. It's rooted in God. Forgiveness is a gift from God. We pray forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors to help us Appropriate the gift of forgiveness. First John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10. First John chapter 1 verses 5 through 10 say there are two ways to deal with sin. Number one, you can lie about your sin. You can lie to God. You can lie to yourself. You can lie to others about your sin. Or you can be honest with God. Here's the benefit of being honest with God about your sin. First John 1 and 9 says if we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is faithful and just to forgive us because 1 John 2 and 1 says, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father who is Jesus Christ the righteous. It is through Christ we are forgiven. It is through Christ we are reconciled with God. It is through Christ we are adopted into God's family. It is through Christ... We are born again. It is through Christ. We are declared righteous. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I got a need. I'm a debtor. God meets the need. Not with a payment plan, but with a gift. He forgives our debts. Think about it. P people may reluctantly forgive. But Psalm 86 verse 5 says, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving. You are abounding in steadfast love to all those who call on you. People may forgive but not forget. 
But in Isaiah 42, verse 25, God says, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Y'all not in here with me. But it's theologically impossible for God to forget anything. He's omniscient. He knows everything known, unknown, and knowable. But he says, if you bring your sin to me, I forget what you did. People forgive minor offenses, but won't forgive major hurts. Listen to God in Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sin be as scarlet, I'll make it white as snow. Though it is red as crimson, I'll make it white like Well, people may forgive, but they'll put stipulations on their forgiveness. Isaiah 55 verse 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thought, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him and to our God, and he will abundantly pardon. People will say they forgive you and still stay mad at you. But Psalm 30 verse 5 says of God, for his anger is just for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We got a need. We are debtors. But if you call on God, he'll meet the need with a gift. I got to move on. Anybody glad about the gift? <laughs> Forgiveness is a, is, a, is a gift. Family visited Washington, D.C. on vacation. And as they were touring, their young son got fascinated with the Washington Monument. He slipped away from his parents and went up to a guard and confidently told the guard, I want to buy it. The guard played along and said, son, how much you got? Reached into his pocket, pulled out a quarter, handed it to the guard. The guard smiled and said, I'm sorry, son, that's not enough. The young man said, I thought you might say that. Reached into his pocket and got nine more cents and handed it to the guard. Seeing the boy is serious, he kneels down to him and the guard says, son, let me explain a few things to you. 34 34 cents is not enough to buy the Washington Monument. $34 million would not be enough to buy the Washington Monument. Secondly, No amount is enough because the Washington Monument is not for sale. Thirdly, son, if you are an American citizen, the Washington Monument already belongs to you. That's how the forgiveness of God works, church. Hear me. You ain't got enough to pay off your debt with God. Forgiveness is not for sale anyway. 
But if you run to the cross and throw yourself on the mercy of God, forgiveness is already yours. And so we must acknowledge the need for forgiveness. We must appropriate the gift of forgiveness. And thirdly, accept the condition of forgiveness. <laughs> so there's a need. We have debts. There's a petition. Forgive us our debts. And then Jesus says, when you pray, you can boldly ask God to just wipe, off, wipe out your debt. But when you ask him to do that, you got to put this condition on it. As we forgive our debtors. One commentator said, I suppose this petition has made more liars out of people than any other document in history. I tend to agree, but I don't think people... I don't think we lie on purpose here. I just don't think we understand the magnitude of what we are saying when we pray the Lord's Prayer. I, I, not just this one. I don't, I don't think we get what we say when we pray the Lord's Prayer. You do know that when you say, hallowed be your name, we are saying, Lord, let my name be forgotten. Let your name be honored. When we say your kingdom come, we saying, Lord, let my agenda fall as long as your kingdom reigns. We're saying, Lord, I got plans and dreams and goals, but, but, but my goals are not as important as your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. We might be tempted to pray, you know, for mortgage and debt. And funding for a big goal, Jesus said, no, nah, don't pray for that big stuff. Pray for bread. Y'all not listening to me here. And pray for bread every day. Pray for a piece of bread every day so that every day you'll remember that the littlest thing you put in your mouth, you didn't get it because you worked hard. You did it because I provided for it. And now he's embarrassing us again. By making us pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive. This is what he's telling us to pray. Father, I have done wrong. I need your forgiveness. But I request that you treat me the way I treat those who have wronged me. Grant me what I give them. Grant me the same peace I grant others. Let me enjoy whatever tolerance I offer. There's an there's a underlying truth here. You should mark it down if you're jotting stuff down. God treats us the way we treat others. It's as, it's as if God says, I want you to go to the market and buy your enemies groceries for next month. And remember that whatever you get your neighbor, that's what I'm getting you. Whatever you give is what you will receive. This is a big statement because all of us, listen to me, all of us 
you've been living a while. If you got any miles on your tires, all of us have debtors. Your parents should have been more loving. Your children should have been more appreciative. Your mate should have been more faithful. Your friends should have been more supportive. Your church should have been more caring. We all have debtors. And note the plural terms. We are guilty of debts, S, plural. And we have debtors. Not just one incident. He says if you, if you live long enough, you're going to have a bunch of experiences where people will wrong you, hurt you, and defend you. And he says, you're going to come to me with a list of things you need me to forgive. And he says, when you do that, God is willing to tear up the list. Here's the condition, though. God says, I, I got a list and you got a list. You tear up yours, I'll tear up mine. Are y'all in here with me? So, so, so big is this petition that it is the only one enforced with a condition. Look at verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He's saying that forgiveness is like a coin. This is not a tit-for-tat legalistic strategy to get forgiveness. This is not trying to earn forgiveness. We already saw, that's why I was emphasizing, that forgiveness is a gift. But what he's trying to say is this, this business of forgiveness is like a coin. It's a single unit with two sides. The attitude that enables us to accept forgiveness is the same attitude that compels us to extend it. If we are unable to forgive others, our hardness will prevent us from accepting God's forgiveness. Philip Graham Riken wrote here, Indeed, our ability to forgive is one of the surest signs of having been forgiven. This is a great sentence. Those who are truly forgiven truly forgive. It's like being in love. You become vulnerable to that which you truly love. When you give someone your heart, you open yourself up to the joy and pain love brings. You can't say, <laughs> if you're trying to say, I, I want a relationship, but I just want all joy and no pain, just stay by yourself for you ruin somebody. <laughs> just, you ain't ready. You, you, you got to grow up to figure out life don't work that way. That's not love. That's, that's manipulation. When you give someone your heart, you put yourself in a position where that person can bring you incredible joy and cause excruciating pain. Sometimes on the same day. <laughs> <laughs> And it's the same way with, with forgiveness. You, you can hold a grudge and nurse your hurts and vow to never forgive those who have wronged you. But when you close your heart to that forgiveness, so that forgiveness is not extended, 
Your heart is also closed off from receiving forgiveness. If your heart is going to be open to receive the forgiveness of God, your heart must be open to to forgive those who have wronged you. You should read Genesis 50, 18 through 21. It's one of the best passages on forgiveness in the Bible. Everything bad that happened in Joseph's life was because his brothers did him wrong. And the story now ends with these brothers in his hands and Joseph with the authority to pay them back for everything they did to him. And in Genesis 50 verse 18, Joseph says, am I in the place of God? That's a hard thing for us to forgive when we've been hurt, but you got to remember it, church. We are not God. You got to forgive, let the debtor off the hook, and leave them in the hands of the Lord. I'm trying to wrap this up, but do you know the best thing and the worst thing in the world you can do to somebody is put them in the hands of the Lord? I'm not saying this is easy as just forgive and forget. That's what people say. Just forgive and forget. There are some things that you cannot forget. And there are some things you should not forget. But if you forgive and let it go and give it to God, even if you can't forget, God can take the pain out your memories. Y'all not listening to me here. There's a place indeed for confrontation and truth telling and rebuke in our faith, but Christians ought to be characterized by forgiveness and long-suffering and graciousness. We ought to hate the sin and love the sinner. C.S. Lewis found that concept ludicrous and impossible. He couldn't see how you can hate sin without hatred extending to the person who committed the sin. He couldn't understand it until he looked in the mirror and recognized that he still loved himself instead of the wrong things he knew he had done. This is how we are. We minimize our faults and exalt the faults of others. We need to learn to be more appalled by our own sins and more patient with the sins of others. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 says, Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The Bible does not say that your debtors have to admit they are wrong or even say they are sorry for you to forgive them. They need to do that for there to be reconciliation, but they don't need to do that for you to forgive. 
All you need in order to forgive is to know that God in Christ forgave you. After the Civil War, Confederate General Robert G. Lee was traveling in Virginia, met a woman who poured out her complaints, even showing him a tree in her yard that was heavily damaged by Yankee artillery. General Lee straightforward gave the woman advice. Ma'am, I think you need to cut that tree down and let it go. I'm finished. There are trees in our lives that are marked up by what other people have done to us. Some of us, we ain't got no peace because we go out to that place in our lives and water that tree every day. <laughs> water it and fertilize it and but what I'm trying to what I've been trying to tell you that you gotta you need to cut it down let it go and move on with your life You don't know what happened to me. How can you tell me just cut that tree down? Let me try one more time and I'm done. Cut down the tree. In the name of he who got strung up on the tree because of what you did wrong. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. And in the name of he who died on the tree. So that your debt could be paid. If there is something in your life that you are nursing. Cut it down. And let it go. And move on to the glory of God. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight and God bless.